You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai. Now, Y'all, did you know that the third week of May is National Dog Bite Prevention Week? It's sponsored by the American Veterinary Medical Association, the Postal Services, and the Centers for Disease Control. Now, the fact we must actually have such a week raises my hackles. Now, here comes my rant of the week. According to the CDC, 4.7 million people are bitten by dogs each year with 800,000 individuals requiring medical treatment. About a dozen of them actually die. And half of all kids in the U.S. experience a dog bite before they're 12 years old. And the majority of these kids, 5 to 9-year-old age group and boys, are, are at the highest risk. Uh, any dog bite is tragic, especially because most dog bites are preventable that all dogs actually bite. I mean, even the Yorkies and the Dachshunds have been known to cause deaths. Bigger dogs like pit bulls and other so-called dangerous breeds get most of the blame. That's because bigger dogs cause bigger damage. But also, there are about 25 other dog breeds out there that are often confused with pit bulls. The media, and I... Unfortunately, I'm a part of that, but the media rarely corrects these errors. And frankly, the bad pit bull story sells more newspapers. Nobody really knows the true numbers of bites, by breed or otherwise, since many of them go unreported. Yet it's clear to me that car accidents injure and kill far more people in a single year than a decade of bad dogs. And banning certain breeds makes as much sense as profiling and outlawing certain types of cars or drivers. No. No, and I say a third time, no. The answer isn't to ban breeds. It's to educate owners about dogs and dog safety. Now, today, first half of the show, we're going to talk about dog bites and dog bite safety. Then the last half, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the breed ban controversy. My guest today has a lot to say on both subjects. Steve Dale, pet expert and certified dog and cat behavior consultant, writes a twice-weekly syndicated newspaper column with Tribune Media Services. He's a contributing editor at USA Weekend and host of two national syndicated radio shows, Steve Dale's Pet World and The Pet Minute, as well as Pet Central on WGN Radio in Chicago. So folks out there, stop whining. We'll give you something to really bark about after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Flight 291 is now boarding. All passengers, please proceed to gate 4. And who's this traveling with us today? This is Bailey. She's never flown Midwest Airlines before. Hi, Bailey. 
She'll be fine. We take special care of our traveling pets. In fact, our premier pet program was created by an employee and dog lover who believes that pets should be handled as precious cargo. And they are. Oh, and they earn travel rewards, too. Oh, good. Thanks for flying Midwest Airlines, Bailey. Enjoy your flight. Visit MidwestAirlines.com. Welcome to Personals.com. As a fellow cat owner, I know how finicky we are. From our friendships to our loves to just about everything, not any old website is going to satisfy us. Here at Personals.com, cat lovers from all walks of life can celebrate the photos, the stories, and videos of their beloved family member. And if you're single, here's your chance to meet someone who's perfect for you. Share your personality today for free. See you soon. Personals.com. That's P-U-R-R-S-O-N-A-L-S dot com. Finally, a place to meet that special person. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatelic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. My feature guest, Steve Dale, has appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Show, National Geographic Explorer, Pets, part of the family on PBS, the Fox News Channel, and various Animal Planet shows, and too much more really to mention. I've been looking for the perfect topic to have him on this show so we can really sink our teeth into the subject. I'm delighted to finally welcome you to the show, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Amy. What I generally do before we start out, um, I think most people actually, if they're into pets, they already know about you, but... Tell us a little bit about yourself. What dogs and cats and critters do you have? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, let, let's... I actually change. threw you there. <laughs> yeah, let's change the question a little bit. It probably should be asked is what dogs, cats, and other critters have us. Uh, and that would be uh, a cat named Roxy, who's the head of the house, because anyone who has any combination of animals knows that 
cats are really who's in charge. And then there's, uh, let's see, we have two dogs, Lucy and Ethel, uh, and a northern blue-tongued skink. Oh, northern, not southern. <laughs> northern. You, yeah, she doesn't have the same accent you have, Amy. Okay, okay. And what is her name? Her name is Cosette. Cosette. Yes, I actually got to meet Cosette. In- interesting little critter there. Yeah, and that's a little, about two and a half feet. And, you know, part of the reason I was doing a story about iguanas, and, you know, iguanas are, are, were all the craze at, at some point in time about 15 years ago. And they're still somewhat popular because when you go into a pet store, uh, give me the finger, Amy. No, not that finger, the other one. <laughs> and that's about, that's about the length of a typical baby iguana, and that's how long they are in the pet stores. And they only cost like 15 bucks or less at some pet stores. Uh, what really will cost you, though, is the stuff you have, you know, the, the huge, eventually, enormous, gymungous cage that you have to keep them in and all the other things to go with it. That's what's going to cost you the money, but not the pet itself. And people were getting iguanas, not realizing that they grow to be five or six feet long, that their tail can actually hurt you. The other end where the teeth are can hurt you too. They can be cantankerous. Uh, and they have very specific diet requirements, very specific humidity requirements. Not easy to keep. But just to tell people, don't do that without <laughs> offering an alternative, which actually ties into breed bands. I can explain that. Uh, is, as I think, not really a good answer. So I was doing a story about alternative reptile pets. And I fell in love, who wouldn't, with a blue-tongued skink. I mean, after all, here's an animal with a blue tongue. I mean, this animal looks like, always looks like it's just had a, a blueberry Slurpee. <laughs> well, well, speaking of, of Slurpees, we hope when we're meeting a dog on the street that we're just going to get a Slurpee kind of a kiss. But, but heavens, you know, the stats are really scary. That's a lot of bites are all these bites that are reported in the statistics, are they dangerous bites or, or are they like, you know, I read somewhere it's like reporting every skin knee that happens. Some of these are not that big a deal, and yet we're, we're kind of waving our arms on everything that happens. Yeah, I mean, dog bites are a very, very difficult thing to ascertain. First of all, the reality is that most bites happen within the family. And as a result of that, and as a result of people just not reporting it because it's not serious enough, we don't know how many bites there really are. Because people, if it happens within your own family, you probably aren't going to report it to a government official. Hospitals now keep tabs, but they're still not great at doing that. Uh, And a bite that isn't serious enough to require uh, medical care uh, no one is going to know that it happened so, or might have happened. So, and then what do we call a bite? There are actually instances where the child gets hurt, and this is not so unusual that it's not worth mentioning. It really happens where the child gets hurt because the dog chased them, but mm-hmm. yet it's referred to as a dog bite even though the dog, given the chance, may have bitten the child, but, uh, but, but never got that chance. And never, never, there was never a bite involved. So we don't even know how many bites occurred or have occurred over the years. Here's what we do know. We do know that bites are probably on the increase, uh, but uh, we don't know how much of an increase that is, whether it exceeds, because dogs are on the increase in numbers too, and whether it exceeds that, the, the number of dogs uh, or that it's just sort of following this natural progression. Uh, here's something else we know. Have you ever, as a question first, Amy, have you ever been run over by a forklift truck? Uh, not recently, no. 
Have you ever been bitten by a dog? Absolutely. Okay, but you worked as a veterinary technician for years. And ask me what breeds I was bitten by most uh, commonly. What, what breed? Uh, Chihuahua and Cocker Spaniels. And, and what's interesting is you ask 10 veterinarians or veterinary technicians or dog groomers, you know, people who work with dogs every day, and you'll get for each 10 of those people probably 10 different breeds that they say Absolutely. are the most worrisome. Absolutely, and it was not only dogs, it was cats as well. Um, it was uh, likely iguanas if we had had iguanas come in. So <laughs> you know, the, the, bites, the bites are there, and I think what a lot of people... Um, You're not going to ask me why I asked you about a forklift? Well, I, I'm getting to that. It's okay. <laughs> other than, I guess, a fork is something you put in your mouth, and so that leads to bites. But um, No, 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 a forklift truck. You know, those <laughs> trucks that go... Right. Well, yeah. go ahead. Why did you bring up forklifts? You don't get that every day in all your interviews. The reason why I brought up forklift trucks, and this is statistically, it's one of those quirky but true things. You are more likely to get hit by a forklift truck, statistically, in America, than bitten by a dog. The dog bite numbers are kind of maybe going up or not. We don't know. The reality is that they are not a common occurrence. And one of the reasons why they make newspapers is that it's news. And part of the definition of news is something that doesn't typically happen. If it happened every day, it wouldn't be news and therefore wouldn't make newspapers. Every auto accident doesn't make the newspaper. What makes the newspaper in some parts of the country are auto accidents that kill people. But if you live in New York or L.A. or uh, Los Angeles, even those accidents often don't make the newspapers because they're so com- sadly, they're so common. So uh, the, the, just the fact that dog bites are such an infrequent thing, yeah, serious dog bites, uh, but any dog bite, any dog bite at all, you are actually more likely to be hit by a forklift truck. Right, and that's actually was one of my next question was the comparisons, uh, which is most dangerous to us, balloons, dogs, horses, or what? Because I read an article, I think, on your website talking about that as far as companion animals go, horses probably lead the race. Yeah, you know, and I'm not, listen, riding horses is wonderful. It's, it's, it's therapeutic. It's, it's good for the horse. It's good for people as long as you're not doing it in excruciatingly hot weather. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, you're statistically more likely to be hurt by a horse. Well, let's, let's take it a step further and give the uh, pet owners and the um, parents of children out there something to hang on to. Why do the bites happen and what can we do to reduce the bites and maybe educate parents and children about the proper reading of dogs and how to act around them, how to handle them? Well, you keep mentioning kids, and that's really important because uh, most bites happen to most bites happen within families, as I said, and they happen to kids. And if it's not the kid within your family, it's a kid that comes over to your house. And and then the third most frequent would be kids that are visiting, but or kids that your dog sees on, you know, that get into your yard that shouldn't be there, the, the kids you don't know. But all three of the most common categories of dog bites happen to children. So if there is a parent supervising to do as much prevention as possible, that's not going to happen. So number one, it's our responsibility as parents to supervise. Even if you have a dog you think you know well. I mean, there was just an instance, I got a call from a veterinarian yesterday, and uh, a little child, a young child, three or four years old, uh, went to hug. The dog was laying on top of the parent's bed and went to hug this dog and squeezed either hard enough, I don't know what prompted the bite, but the dog bit. 
Uh, and this dog had never even shown any aggressiveness before. So, well, I understand some circumstances can't be avoided, but even in dogs, you don't think whatever bite, the fact of the matter is they do have teeth, they're capable, and kids are also capable of doing the strangest things. And, and if they're young kids, I mean, not necessarily with intent, but, you know, the three or four or five-year-olds will be three, four or five-year-olds. So if there's supervision there, and the more supervision there is, the less likely there is something to happen that you don't want to have happen. Uh, secondly, kids have to kind of learn some things. You know, I've been to so many homes where the parent says, well, it's a three-year-old. What do you expect? And the kid is just yanking on that dog's ear. They're pulling the dog. I mean, these are the most patient dogs. These dogs could be proclaimed for sainthood. Uh, you know, but yet, if the kid, that same kid, went toward the oven and put his finger over the, the fire, mom would be there immediately saying, no, don't do that. Or if the kid put his or her finger into an electric socket or wanted to drink some cleaning solution, we would be there to do something about it and at least try to explain to the kid in no uncertain terms that you can't do that. But yet with dogs, we expect dogs to be more tolerant than any human being would ever be. I mean, if, if a kid jumped on dad and socked dad in the private parts, I think dad might say something about it or literally pulled on dad's hair. And lots and lots and lots and lots of two- and three-year-olds do that once, but they never end up doing it again. So we right. really shouldn't be allowed them to pulling the dog's tail or the dog's hair any more than we'd allow a kid to pull our own hair, I mean, and really pull. Uh, or so, even, or even with the with the hugging, explaining to them, you know, human beings, we're primates. We love the touchy feely stuff. Dogs don't necessarily get into that. Some dogs tolerate it. Some dogs even learn to like it. But yeah, don't go up to a strange dog and hug and play kissy kissy face with him. I agree. And the next thing I was going to say is what to do about approaching a strange dog. I mean, lots of parents are really good about and really good about teaching their kids. You must say or ask first, can I pet your dog? But other parents aren't so good at that. And it's very, very important because not all dog owners are going to be as responsible as they should, or maybe they're not there to do anything about it. If it's in a dog park or a place where the dog is off leash and should be, because that's what dog parks are for, the dog's owner may not be able to get there fast enough to do anything about it. And meanwhile, this little kid is pushing on a dog that that little kid doesn't know. So please, 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 ask, ask first. It's absolutely necessary to teach kids to do that. And then what about approaching strange dogs or have or when strange or roaming dogs or stray dogs approach them? So it's important to teach those kids, and some school programs actually do a very good job at this, of such things as making like a rock, you know, going down onto the ground, tucking in arms and legs, and pretending they're a boulder, you know. And there are coloring books that teach this, and a lot of animal shelters across the country do a very good job, as do animal control officers and police officers who come into schools and teach kids this. But in some places, it isn't taught in the schools. And where it right. isn't, the parents need to reinforce this and teach the kids that you don't, for example, run in the opposite direction, which, of course, only encourages dogs to run right after you. Right. There's a program I really like called the Doggone Safe Be a Tree Education Program, and we'll have a link to that on the site after the uh, folks listen to the program. But before we take a break here, I'd like to touch on one other aspect of this, because when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about breed bands. But before we get to that, if you have a new puppy, you have a new dog, 
how do we teach them bite inhibitions? Because, you know, as you and I both know, biting and using their mouth and their teeth is natural for dogs, but they can learn to inhibit the bite so that it's, even if they get pushed beyond the limits, they can give a warning that's not going to at least hurt. So how do we uh, yeah. teach bite inhibition to pups and to dogs? Well, the best way, I mean, that's a superb question. The best way for us to do it is not to have to do it. If they're pulled from or taken from their mom at about 12, 13 weeks of age or even 11 weeks of age, depending on the dog, they've already learned that or have begun the process of learning that from mom. And dogs do a much better job at teaching dogs some things than we can. Dogs are not very good about, like mom dog isn't great about teaching dogs sit, roll over, give me a high five, but they really are very good about teaching things like bite inhibition. And we can do it. I mean, if you get a very, very young dog, you could say things like, ouch, I mean, really, ouch, and then you walk away and withdraw attention. And what dogs want most from all of us is, and this dog is just if it's a young puppy, it's just kind of figuring things out. It's like a little two-year-old with their hands. Everything's got to be touched with a hand. Well, dogs want to put everything in their mouth, and they just don't know how hard to bite. Mom dog teaches this, but if mom dog is in there, we can do the same thing, and dogs more than anything want us. So if we withdraw our attention, well, that's a pretty strong message given a couple of times repeatedly to a dog, but I'll tell you, the best way to train this is to uh, be in a position where you're lucky enough where mom dog did it for you. Do I have time for a 30-second story? Absolutely. Okay. So there I am today. This happened today. I park my car uh, to do uh, one of my radio shows at the Anti-Cruelty Society. They're gracious enough to let me use their parking facility. So it's this concrete parking area, and we go down some stairs. We open the door, and there is always a lobby there, and we walk through the lobby, uh, and it's not the main entrance of this uh, facility, which is an animal shelter. It's sort of a side entrance, kind of like a private entrance. And then we walk out a door right there and walk down the street and go to the radio studio. So today, we walk out the door, and uh, I open the door to go into the lobby, and oh my gosh, the dog walks out, I walk out, and suddenly, right then, as quick as you can snap your fingers, we're in the middle of like 100 school kids. They're all about 9, 10 years old. 100 of them. We're right in the middle of them. And then as soon as we walk out and we can't go back, they all say, a dog! Of oh, course, gosh. they're at an animal shelter. They're going to see. Now, one of the adults and the only adult I could find in this group of 9 and 10-year-olds said, aren't you glad your dog likes kids? Because if, this is the importance of socializing a dog. You never know the position you could find yourself in. And there we were in the middle of, of, of swarming kids, all screaming about all these things the kids scream about. And then when the dog appears, they're screaming twice as loud about the dog. I mean, I'm talking a hundred, literally a hundred kids. We were the focal point and in the middle of this group. Many dogs would have kind of freaked out. Luckily, because our dog likes kids and our dog's been socialized, our dog was, wow, there's a party and I'm in the middle of it, you know, (laughs) but you never can tell what can happen. And if it were a different kind of dog, that's how dog bites sometimes happen. Absolutely. The unexpected. So we're going to talk about more of this with Steve Dale after messages from these sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Ready to take a walk? Not just you, but your whole family. 
It's the 2008 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 8th from 9 to 4 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet-related. Whisker Walk 2008, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves, so here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back, and again, speaking with Steve Dale, a certified animal behavior consultant, radio show host, and regular speaker at veterinary and humane conferences. Steve's known for tackling controversial subjects, and then rolling up his sleeves and actually working to make some positive changes. After his very public outcry on WGN Radio and his on-air interview with Alderman Shirley Coleman, he was requested by the city of Chicago to create and lead a task force to seek alternatives to breed-specific bans and to rewrite the city's Animal Control Act. This, I believe, was in 2000. And we're talking about breed bans here now. The good, the bad, uh, the ugly. And I really want to get into this, Steve. So playing devil's advocate first, you get rid of the bad breeds, you're going to get rid of the bad bites, right? I mean, what happens when a breed is banned? Isn't, isn't this a good thing? No, you need to get rid of the bad people. There are a certain percent of dogs out there that just belong to bad people now, and a whole lot of dog bites, and a whole lot of, even if there aren't dog bites, uh, threats to the community, intimidation to the community, uh, come from uh, either gangbangers, 
or people who think it's macho, or people who think it's cool to have these intimidating dogs. And because of popular culture today being what it is, the prevalent intimidating dog is a pit bull type dog, though not necessarily, but that's often the case. And even if you watch some music videos still, and if you go to a CD store or these days go to iTunes and look at the uh, the jackets of the cover of the CD, sometimes you even see as a part of it these big dogs, often pit bull type dogs, with these spike collars that a cartoon dog used to wear. And that is now considered a part of the culture, unfortunately. And I don't know that a breed ban would affect any of that because these are bad guys who, in some cases, shoot other bad guys or good guys. I mean, they shoot people. They don't follow the law in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not sure why adding another law or, or adding another component would make them do any different. What, what it has done in communities where there have been breed bans is it really hasn't mattered. And what they're after in, in providing a breed ban, oftentimes, especially in larger communities, is going after crime in general. And, and so far, it really hasn't impacted crime one way or the other. It has, hasn't impacted the number of dog bites there are even, as far as we can tell, because dog bites are hard to track. Uh, one way or the other. So they really haven't done much good where they've been implemented. Well, I know uh, you mentioned uh, the gangbangers and some of the cultural differences that maybe some of the some of the large cities have these issues. Now, I'm in a very much more rural community. We have a lot of pit bull, pit bull type dogs in the area, not necessarily belonging to gangs, but again, a very popular breed that has not been necessarily bred particularly well. So the dogs that you're seeing are not true to whatever the breed type or the breed ideal might be. And so we're having issues, even if the breed in general is supposed to be a nice dog, you can have bad dogs within a given breed. Yeah, that's not really common. I mean, it's a complicated problem. What's happened What's happened with pit bull type dogs is that uh, the proliferators of if you, the, the, the violence, which include gangbangers, but it's more than gangbangers. It's, it's violence we're talking about. The dog fights and those kinds of things, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's about violence. And the people who propagate dogs for those purposes uh, have been doing so now for enough years where a couple things have happened. They have impacted a bit the personalities of some of the dogs they're breeding. And, and secondly, they've, for a variety of different reasons, have made their way out into sort of the general populace. Are they inherently bad dogs? No, I don't think so. But I do think that that is nature and nurture, and genetics plays a role. But I also believe that if a dog is brought up in this way, a dog is brought up without any nurturing at all. The dog is brought up, say, and this is not unusual, in a dark room where the dog is literally fed gunpowder, where the dog is kept away from its mother so it doesn't feel the touch of a mother or human beings for that matter. It's given clearly very poor nutrition and no attention whatsoever. What kind of dog is that going to be? And even if that dog at some point in time is removed and, quote, rescued and then adopted out, then we're talking about a dog that can be repaired, but a dog that probably is not in many ways normal. And whether the people who happen to have that dog are able to bring that dog closer and closer to normal depends on the individual dog and how male, what kind of personality this dog ends up having. And also depending on the human beings involved and uh, their ability to do this. And we have enough of these dogs out there that I think are problematic 
but and they tend to be pit bull and pit bull type dogs because of the environment and and the popularity of these dogs. There are a whole lot of them out there. I mean, the average person doesn't get a pit bull necessarily and want to register the dog like you do your uh, your you know American cocker spaniel or your. Right. Cavalier King Charles Spaniel that you register with the American Kennel Club. There's no really way to do that, although there is a registry that registers pit bull, American pit bull dogs. And, and there are carefully bred, beautifully bred pit bull dogs. And then there are bully related breeds that are wonderful dogs that you see on American Kennel Club shows like the Westminster Dog Show, like the American Staffordshire Terrier, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier, that are wonderful family dogs, in fact. And what these laws do is they bunch all of these dogs together into one pie. And it's not fair, but it's not very effective either. There are just so, so many of these dogs. The pit bull type dogs I'm talking about, no one knows how many there are, but there are probably as many as there are any of the very, very, very popular dog breeds like Labrador Retrievers. That's how many there are in America now. Right. I mean, you walk down the street here and you see dogs that at least look as though they may have some pit bull heritage in them. I wanted to get into the issue, though. I mean, some people, the state of Texas, you legally cannot ban a breed of dog. We've got into this locally in our community, and they've, thank goodness, have gone back to state law and said, you know, we can't do it. What you can do is define a dangerous dog. So, Yes. There are a lot of legal issues involved in the definition. What constitutes a dangerous dog? And people, I don't think, are real clear on that. Well, it really is local statute that does that. And what defines a dangerous dog in uh, where you are in Texas would be different than in Memphis, Tennessee, which would be different than where I am in Chicago, which would be different than uh, Florida. You know, I mean, it's local statute. What we did in Chicago is not perfect. What we did in Chicago was we used to have this three-bite rule, which is still common in lots of places around the country. It's kind of like three strikes you're out. Why the number three? I don't know. It was arbitrary, to tell you the truth, uh, Mm -hmm. when it was first done by lots of people. And we thought, you know what, this isn't right, because if a dog that really is a dangerous dog, and there are really dangerous dogs out there that should not be out there. We don't want people bitten by dogs. So if that dog uh, bites once, why should it be given an opportunity to bite two more times before it's deemed dangerous? I mean, that's ridiculous. On the other hand, the problem with a one-bite rule is that one bite and the dog is deemed dangerous. Well, sometimes a bite is provoked. Sometimes right. it's really not the dog's fault. And, and there are a whole host of other reasons why that's not right either. So the ideal which is not what we have in Chicago. I wish it was. But the ideal would be one bite and the dog is, and it's kind of like what we have in Chicago, actually, and the dog is looked at and then determined where that dog falls, whether it's deemed dangerous or not. A group of experts who know dogs should look at the dog. And in my world, the first thing that should happen is that dog should have a physical after Mm -hmm. a bite because it might have been prompted by some physical condition. And that way, there's a good way to check for a vaccination, such as rabies, which is mandated in each and every state. Uh, right. And the dog should have a physical exam first. That's the first thing. Then, if the dog, you know, I mean, I know of cases where, say, and this really happens, you know, where a dog with an ear infection bites because the kid pulls on the dog's ear. It hurts so much that the, the, the dog responds with a bite, uh, a dog who otherwise might not ever bite. So the first thing is a physical exam. Then have a group of experts. Look at the case, 
look at the dog, and then determine if the dog is deemed dangerous or not. And what happens if the dog is deemed dangerous? Well, in most communities, the dog is euthanized. Right. Irving, Texas here, it's just a city right outside of Dallas, has just instituted a program. You know how they have ways that you can track and they alert communities if there is a a child molester in their midst or what. Now they have a program for dangerous dogs. So they yeah, put think, it on the internet and you can yeah. track and see in your community where is a dog that has been deemed dangerous so that you know people can take steps. I think part of the Part of the difficulty that we're seeing in our part of the world, and probably Chicago too, is enforcement. I mean, the best laws on the books and the best uh, programs that you have available are are worthless if all well, the dog was deemed dangerous and he's supposed to have a fence now and and hundred million dollars of insurance, but the dog's still roaming out loose and the guy's not doing it and he's not being prosecuted. I mean, it's very frustrating. Yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, and. There are a whole lot of reasons for that. I mean, dog issues are not necessarily high on the list of uh, public officials necessarily. And and there's no personnel, you know, to enforce these things sometimes. And I think at some point, some laws that we have are ridiculous that they can't be enforced in the second place. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I agree with you about that. Okay, well, what would you suggest? I say we have listeners today that believe they have a problem with dangerous dogs in their particular community. What are some good alternatives to managing this problem uh, without breed bans? What would you suggest some of their first steps might be? Well, I, I love the fact that you're talking about dangerous dogs because that's what it is. It's, it's a dangerous dog. And whether that dog is a uh, pit bull or a Rottweiler or a poodle or a Pomeranian, it's a dangerous dog. And if a dog is deemed dangerous, and, and A, B, C, and D happen, and A, B, C, and D might vary from community to community. But if these are the, the sort of what you look at to determine if a dog is dangerous and that dog is deemed dangerous, then that dog should be deemed dangerous. And then either the $50 million of insurance you talk about and the high fence and all those other things happen, or depending on the community and the circumstances, the dog is euthanized. I'm actually fine with all of that. The dog goes out in public with a muzzle, all of that. You know, I want public safety. I do not want dogs to bite people. So I am all for for all of that. But what I'm saying is it should be the same for all dogs. It serves the public better. Why should there be different laws for pit bull-type dogs, even if you think it's a pit bull and it may not be, or you think it's not a pit bull and if it is a pit bull? But uh, that way you don't have to worry about any of that. And... There are dangerous poodles. There are dangerous golden retrievers. There are even dangerous chihuahuas, you mentioned. Well, they're not going to attack people and kill them, probably. Although there are cases on record, uh, toy breeds like Yorkshire Terriers and also chihuahuas attacking and killing infants. It's not unheard of. So if a dog is dangerous, it really shouldn't matter what the breed is or what you think the breed is. The dog that's dangerous is dangerous. So I like that. Then what you have to do is, is have experts, and this is what most communities, including Chicago, what we're missing, is that others deem dogs dangerous who are not experts on either companion animals or public safety. And I don't understand that. I, I think we need experts on dogs to more efficiently determine what really is dangerous and what really isn't dangerous. Now, if you report something, and this is a big problem, actually, reporting and repeatedly, because I've looked at the cases, and there aren't a lot every year, but one is too many of fatal dog attacks. 
And in right. most cases, for each and every fatal dog attack, there are certain things that are common. And one is that someone has complained about the dog, whether it's a neighbor or the community, you know, a whole lot of neighbors. People have complained about this dog and nothing's been done. And it's like the stop sign that doesn't happen until somebody gets killed. And there's got to be a way, and I don't know magically what that way is, for uh, public officials to respond to complaints before they become so serious that somebody does get killed, whether it be animal control or or the, the police in a community, they need to respond to potentially dangerous dogs so that something really bad doesn't happen. Right, and I know in in my part of the country, uh, in uh, southern Oklahoma, not too long ago, we had a death by mauling a group of stray dogs that came in and attacked uh, an elderly woman and took her down. And as the story came out, it was a group of dogs, one of which I believe was a pit bull cross. And so suddenly the media had a pack of pit bulls doing this. And it was a terrible, tragic situation. Dogs had been dumped. There was no animal control in the area, no shelter in the area. Complaints had been made. Nothing had been done. And so it was a time bomb waiting to happen. Now, after that happened, now some steps have been taken. But as you say, it's a little bit, uh, you know, shutting the barn door after, you know, the horse is out and the who cares if the barn's on fire now? Right. I agree. I agree, and I don't know exactly how to make that happen. And part of that is our mentality in America. I mean, nothing is a problem until something really, really, really bad happens. And part of it is resources. Animal control in most communities is lower on the totem pole than uh, most other uh, areas of government. And they don't have as much personnel. They're always understaffed. And uh, in this one particular place that you talk about, there weren't apparently even animal control officers covering this area. No, they had to have the police come in. So, um, And the police have not, they're doing a valiant effort, a, a, a great job when they can get there, but they aren't trained to deal with animals either. I mean, you bring out the guns and that's pretty much it. So yeah. it's a frustrating uh, situation. Do you have any helpful links or resources you could share with folks who are listening well, in Chicago, we're trying to do something. It's called Safe Humane Chicago. And in fact, uh, the goal is to replicate this eventually in cities all over the country where we're working with community leaders, uh, including religious leaders in communities, uh, as well as public officials, as well as the police department, as well as uh, the educational uh, facilities and educational staff. And we're going into these communities uh, with dog trainers, and we're going into these communities with animal experts to show people about how to respond safely to animals. Sometimes in certain communities in the country, the only dogs they see are dogs they are afraid of. And uh, also teach them what dogs are capable of and teach them at the same time a little something about life. Interestingly enough, each and every time, these kids in certain neighborhoods that are asked to have a dog sit and they're shown, I mean, these are already well-trained dogs, many are therapy dogs, etc., to come up with your hand in a certain way and the dogs know the hand motion. You don't even have to say sit for these dogs, but then say sit and the dog will sit. In almost each and every case, the little kid ignores those instructions and instead of asking the dog to sit, they push down on the dog's rear end because they're Uh used to doing everything by force, everything. So why should a dog be any different? Those are the ones that that are the exceptions because most kids are even afraid to touch a dog because the only experience they have with dogs is one in which they're afraid. And it's, it's very sad to me that we have an entire generation in America growing up, and it's not only in these certain communities and the inner city, et cetera, that I'm talking about. It's all over. I mean, Michael Vick 
wasn't a uh, unwealthy man. And here's a guy that was dogfighting this multimillionaire quarterback. It's sadly everywhere. And the trickle-down effect, I mean, kids were present at this too, at his dogfights. And these weren't kids from the inner city. And, you know, you say, and I'm sure you're right about gangbangers not being in the rural area where you're at. That's good. But there probably is dogfighting somewhere near you because no matter where you live in America, pretty much, there's dogfighting near you even if you don't expect it. And that's very, very sad. To me, it speaks of the violent society increasingly that we're living in. And this is just unfortunately one symptom of it. And in Chicago, we're trying to, in this one way, sort of combat this. And lots of cities are doing similar sorts of things with similar sorts of programs. Yes, our, our Parks uh, and Recreation Department, I know this year I was very pleased to hear they're going to have some uh, dog educational seminars for the neighborhoods. And so we can maybe look to that expanding in the future and get a little bit more information out there. I think education on all levels really is key when it comes down to that. Yeah, I mean, getting the young people is very, very important. But I think there are bigger issues here. And I don't, I'm a dog guy I don't, and cat, but I don't know. I'm an equal opportunity pet guy, dogs and cats. But I don't know the answer to questions like how do we change our violent society. But, you know, I don't know those things. I'm not that smart. All I know is about <laughs> dogs and cats. But there are bigger issues here. And it's not about pit bulls. And I think that, you know, geez, I could write Michael Vick a thank you note. Because what I think he showed many people in the country is that dogs are a victim here as well. And they're not at fault. They're a victim of human beings who are doing this horrific stuff. I think that's a great note to end on. We are out of time. I wish we no. could come on here. But uh, I'd like to thank Steve Dale and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Now, folks, I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio when we'll be talking again about what hisses you off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way, too. So, woofs and wags until next time. Educate yourselves about dog bite prevention. Check out the guest page, which includes some nifty links to more information about protecting yourselves, your children, and your dogs from preventable tragedies. Keep your neighbors happy, both you and your fur kids safe. Nobody wants them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.